You know, it's, it's a beautiful day in spite of the rain because we got a lot of ladies that we are grateful for. There, there are women who have in life become mothers, and uh, there are some who may have not have had children, but yet they have mothered us as well, and we're grateful for all of you and just want to say thank you for that. Um, as we move through our series uh, this week, we're going into a, a, this title of one thing. We've looked at, at a variety of things in scriptures where the Bible says one thing desired, one thing is for all, one thing today is needed. And, and if <clears throat> we kind of take ourselves back to our, our lives maybe as children, I remember a lot of times the one thing that was needed was my room needed to be cleaned. And my mother would often say, you need to go clean your room. There's one thing needed before you do anything else. You've got to you know, put this away or do that. That's, that's common, isn't it? But really there is this idea that maybe in our lives we have just overstuffed our closet. I mean, it's filled with things that we really don't need. It's too full. It's too disorganized. It is too careless. We just shove things in and we can barely close the door and, and keep it shut. And we pray that mom doesn't open it. <laughs> That's the way it is. I mean, have you ever felt like you've needed a good closet cleaning? We've been cleaning the closets here at church over the past year and, and trying to find things that we haven't used maybe in, in 20 years, 30 years. Sometimes Alan says, I don't think I've seen this in over 40 years. <laughs> and here it is, you know, and, and all of a sudden there, there are things that we need to... They're, they're just junk. And junk somehow has this tendency to collect in our ever-expanding goodie bag. And we like to know we've got it, just in case it's there if we have the need. Well, <clears throat> I've noticed, and maybe you've noticed as well, that around the community, uh, everywhere, it doesn't matter where you go, there are these little buildings that keep popping up storage buildings, and, and they've got garage doors just, you know, as long as can be, and, and, and everybody is even now just not keeping them at their own home, but now we're renting facilities to store things in. But it's not just those things. Sometimes we allow things to clutter up our mind, our hearts, our lives, and we, we allow things to get out of disorder and, and, and become disarrayed. And, and so it doesn't matter what it is. It can be cluttered habits or activities or desires or relationships or, or treasures that seem to take up much more room in our life than they really should. And we have time that we focus on all those things. And really, they're not that important. But they clutter our lives, don't they? The worst is when we can't allow room for Jesus because we're too busy. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough room. We don't have enough space. And so we put him in the back burner thinking that at some point in time, I'll pull him out and we'll get ourselves right together. A few weeks ago, a young woman came into the church office and she came into my office and, and was amazed that people were here working in a church during the week. Because all the other churches she'd been in earlier that week, nobody had been in. And she asked how long I'd volunteered, you know, working with the church. <laughs> and, and so we had a conversation then. But this was an interesting thing. As she talked about the business that she was doing some thing with, they were promoting a, a blood drive. And then 
I, I told her, well, I tried to do the blood drive, but I, you know, I'd originally registered there at your place of business, but then I noticed that I got an email saying that it was canceled. And she says, it can't be canceled. We're, we're hosting it. I'm out giving him. I said, well, let's look on the blood drive thing. And so we did. Sure enough, it wasn't there. And so then we started talking, and we start talking about church and talking about things sometimes that we don't have time for, things that get canceled, we don't realize it. We started looking about our faith. And this young lady, I, I said, well, do you have a church anywhere? Well, no, I, I don't go to church. I did when I was a kid. I went with my grandmother, but I, I don't have time right now for that. I've got to work, and, and I've got to provide for things. And she says, I'm hoping to eventually own my own business and do this and this. And she went on to talk about things. And I said, so you, you don't go to church? You don't have, you don't have time? No. She says, I, I'm like my parents. I just work, 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 and then eventually I have time to, to save the money, and maybe then I can go to church and have the time to do those things when I retire. People amaze me at times. Eventually, I'll put Christ first, but until then, i got to make sure that I'm going to be able to live. As our conversation shifted, I mean, I was just stunned that she didn't even have time for church. Maybe I was as stunned as she was that there was somebody actually in a church during the week. I think she's missing the one thing needed, and that is... Time with Jesus. But it isn't anything new. Even those who spent time with Jesus, they got their priorities messed up as well. So we're going to look at our passage of Scripture this morning that's going to tell us about the one thing that's needed, the one thing necessary in life. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Luke, chapter 10. And we're going to read beginning at verse 38 through the end of of chapter 10. Now, Jesus has been making his way around communities, and people have begun to develop relationships with him, and sometimes they would even invite him over to their house for a meal. Well, such has taken place in our story this morning. Beginning in verse 38 of chapter 10, it says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. So this morning, I want to open up your closet in your life, and I want you to examine the things that are in that closet and see whether or not they're really important or if they're just there taking up space. I think we really need to sometimes dig deep into our closets of our lives because there are things in there that we've had for so many years that really we have forgotten how much time and how much room they're taking up and what we're doing. And they don't necessarily need to be there. And maybe there are things that are hidden there that are causing you some grief or anxiety about stuff that we really don't know about, but you just need to somehow unload it to get rid of it. So the first thing I think we need to do is this. We need to clean out the clutter. Not just in our closet, 
but in our lives as well. There's a lot of things that, that we, we just need to get rid of. Now, I'm sure that, that Martha probably had a year or maybe even a lifetime subscription to, to good housekeeping. You know, see, that's, that, that's how she appears to me, you know. I mean, her house was probably spick and span, and, and everything was in its place where it should be because now Jesus is here, and she's been preparing for him to come, and he's bringing this entourage of people to, to come along with him. And she's going to make sure that they have a wonderful time at her house. Her house, it was there, but yet it was also cluttering her mind because she couldn't see things for what they were. Jesus told her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and you're troubled about many things, but only one thing is necessary. Now, before we dig deeper into that, let me make this one statement. Not all clutter is bad. I mean, some of it is good. I mean, it really is good. It might be good stuff. It might be valuable stuff. It might be stuff that has intrinsic value because of some sentimental thing and you really want to keep it, and it doesn't necessarily need to go away. However, that stuff can become a hindrance and a burden that keeps you from other things that may be more important than what they are. It amazes me how quickly we can accumulate stuff. You know, it really does. It just blows my mind how fast our closets can get full. Maybe we ought to, you know, sell our house and move every couple years because that way we, we tend to get rid of things because we don't want to have to move everything. And so, you know, I've seen it. I've seen houses where they just put everything out of the yard and say, free. And yet for years it's been cluttering in their house, and now they've got to move, and they make the determinations of what is important and what is not. What do we need to keep and what can we get rid of? And sometimes it's hard to get rid of those things because we like to hang on to them. So how do we limit our hoarding or our collections, as some like to call them? I mean... I suggest you know, that, that we have to take a look at what is really, really important and determine whether or not it's really, truly worth keeping in our lives. Then there's the kind of, lie, uh, kind of clutter that uh, has the potential of being harmful. And, and we need to kick it to the curb before it does any destructive work within our lives, physically or spiritually or emotionally as well. Some people, like Martha, they muddle their minds with needless things that are going on. They have all these anxieties, these fears, these worries, these concerns. What if, what if the, the food burns before I have an opportunity to get things set out because Mary's not helping me? What if you know, I, I don't have enough uh, dessert to give everybody? What if my dishes, you know, are, are they clean enough? Are they broken? What, what do I have? And we start thinking through all these things. What happens if a tree falls on our house while we're having the meal? What happens if, if, if I don't get the job because somebody else interviewed before I did and they choose them over, my, over me? What happens if, if I invest my money in the stock market and it crashes and I lose everything. What happens if an atomic bomb lands in my neighborhood? Or what about if I get COVID-19 and I die? You see, we're always concerned and we allow our fears and our worries and our anxieties to take up too much time in our lives that we can't focus on what really is important. All those terrible things, they could happen, but the odds are They probably won't. 
And so we spend time worrying about stuff. Besides, worry never prevents anything from happening. I've learned that. Some people, they club their minds with immoral thoughts. And they can't think of a man or a woman without objectifying them for their own personal pleasures. Some people fill their minds with, with negative, dark, violence of, of hatred and, and anger and, and fear. Some people clutter their minds with too much speculation about useful, useless stuff. You know, like which came first, the chicken or the egg? You know, where did Cain get his wife? Did, did we exist in heaven before we were created and conceived on earth? I mean, what was the original form or essence of H2O? Was it solid, liquid, or gas? And we begin to, to just think about things that really don't matter. The Apostle Paul wrote this in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He said, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. But people like to focus on all the silliness of life. So he tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he says, As I urge you when I was going to Macedonia, you remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship that God, that, from God that is by faith. Some people pack their minds with with what we would call so-called Christian inspirational books. I don't want you to avoid Christian books and reading them, but I want you to also understand, though, that not everything Christian really is Christian. You've got to compare it to the Word of God. Because sometimes people have an understanding of Scripture that's not accurate, and they promote things that you can't find biblically. And they teach us to apply things in our lives that really aren't what God wants us to do. So it doesn't matter whether it's my sermon that you're listening to or somebody else's or a book that you're reading, you've got to compare it to the Scripture and see how does it stand up in the light of that. And there was a book years ago that was written out about a prayer of Jabez. Do you remember the book? And, and within it, it encourages you to, to, if you say this prayer, then you'll also receive the blessings that Jabez did. It comes out of 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 10, where it says, Jabez called upon the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, and that you could keep me from harm, so that it might not bring me pain. And God granted what he asked. God doesn't answer the same prayer for everybody who prays it the same way. Sometimes he says, no, matter of fact, you got too much territory already. Maybe we need to shrink it down somewhat. It's kind of play on words within that. Jabez means pain. He was conceived, delivered in pain as a result of the childbirth possibly, or something was going on with his mother, we're not for sure. But what he says, enlarge my borders so that, I don't, that I'm really not a pain anymore, that I'm not hurt, that I'm not struggling. So you have to look at what's being written and line it up with Scripture. There are books that, 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 that portray that somebody died, they went to heaven, and they've come back with some really new insight that has never been conveyed, and so now they've got some new words to teach us and to tell us about what's going on in heaven and what God wants. 
We've got to be cautious about that. Matter of fact, Paul, the apostle, writes to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 and 4, when he says this, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And he he heard things, now listen, and he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Paul is telling us, there are things of heaven that I really can't speak about. Things that I saw and I learned and I experienced. And the same thing with John when he writes the book of Revelations. He says, it was like this. It was like this. It was like this. Because he's trying to give us the best description of what heaven is. Matter of fact, Jesus made this statement in John chapter 3, verse 12. He says, if I know, if I have told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how then will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? There are just some things we will not have the ability to comprehend and understand in our life on earth. And so if somebody dies, they come back and they say, hey, i got some new insight. I'd be cautious about that. To make room for Jesus, His Word, This needs to take priority in life above all other things. It needs to replace all the clutter that we've got going on in our lives and allow this to be our guide, allow this to be our stronghold of faith rather than other things that we have in life. He has to be our main focus, the primary item in our closet of our minds. Colossians 3, 1 and 2, Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. But if you're like me, and I'm sure you are, we often focus on things here because it's what we see, it's what we hear, it's what we smell. We look at our senses and those impact how we think, how we perceive things. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, he said, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Well, that gives a lot of things for me to think about, doesn't it? I don't have time for all the junk that is there. So, I want to ask you a question. Do you have room in your overstuffed closet for Jesus? Maybe you need to start getting real with Jesus and declutter your lives. Quite possibly, I think we should follow the example of this little girl. She was in elementary school at a Christian school. And she was told in class that Jesus was coming back. She decided not to, to go out to recess and stayed inside, and, and, and the teacher was kind of figuring out what was going on. So she's hurryingly going through her desk, cleaning out all the stuff, getting rid of the wads of paper, the broken pencils and the erasers and everything that really was just junk that was in there. And the teacher was trying to figure out what's going on. She said, well, if Jesus is coming back soon, I don't want him to see my messy desk. 
wouldn't it be great to do lunch with him today? To invite him over to your house? Or would you say, let's take a rain check? The second thing I think we need to do is to make the most of every moment that you have. Martha, who was distracted with much serving, as the Scripture told us, was still spending time for Jesus, but Mary was spending time with Jesus. I think there's a valuable lesson there that that maybe we can do more for Jesus if we spend more time with Him. And I get it. We've all got busy schedules. Man, that's, just, that's just common. We've got so many things on our calendar that we just don't have time for things that we think maybe are important or that we should have. We get so busy with stuff that we just can't take the time to open up our Bible and read or to go to a church service or to spend time in a Bible study with some others. And it's not that we don't have time for Jesus. It's a matter of what we do with the time that we have. You see, I know that some of you work longer hours than others, and some of you appear to have no other choice. You've got bills to pay, you've got mouths to feed, and so hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work you go. And we become workaholics. We're going to be like that lady that came into my office, and I don't have time for Jesus right now. I've got to work, 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 and save, 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 so that one day I can retire, and then I'll have time to go to church, and I'll have time to do those things. And I pose this question to her is, what if you don't make it to retirement age? Well, she hadn't thought that through, but she figured she would. You see, we each have 60 seconds in a minute, 60 minutes in an hour, 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week, and so on, and so on. But while there may only be 60 seconds in a minute, eternity is still there. We are in the time of eternity. But we are confined by our earthly time allotment. But we've got to think outside this box and picture ourselves in the eternal plan of God. And I've only got just a moment of time in my life to make a good decision to where I will spend eternity. The Apostle Paul gives us his advice. Well, let me go back. When we put things off, it's called procrastination. In the Proverbs, or the man who wrote Proverbs, the Song of, Sol- or of Solomon, the king, he wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 18, through sloth, the roof sinks, and through indolence, the house leaks. Now that word sloth and sink and indolence, they really are, they work hand in hand together. Sloth means that laziness, it's putting things off. And all of a sudden, as a result of that, things sink in. And indolence is tied to the word sink because it also carries with it. Well, when things are sinking because you're not taking care of it, what happens? The house begins to leak. The same thing is true when it comes to our house of faith. What are we putting in to make sure that it's going to be there in our old age? 
Or is faith just a childhood fantasy? Paul advises us in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. He says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You've got time on your hands, and you've got to make the best use of that time. Time comes to each one of us moment by moment, minute by minute, and some people waste it while others make the most of every second that passes by. They do that maybe by helping others when they have a need or investing love and compassion into the hurts and the loneliness of somebody else. They take their time by sharing their faith with somebody who's lost and helping them discover the truth of who Christ is. Others set a good example for true Christian living and they watch their steps in life. Spending time with God in prayer and Bible study. Now, Charles Francis Adams, you may not have known who he is. His father was John Quincy Adams, the sixth U.S. president. His grandfather was John Adams, the second U.S. president. And in the 19th century, he also became a a diplomat and political figure as well. He was a U.S. representative, a senator, He was an ambassador to England under Abraham Lincoln's presidency. And unfortunately for him, he ran an unsuccessful campaign to become the vice president of the United States. Now, Charles was also what they classified as an American historical editor and writer. And so in his life and through the course of his life, he kept a diary. Now, growing up, I always thought the diary was always kept by my sister and by girls. I didn't think that guys would do that. But he did. He kept a diary, and he would write in it every day. One day he entered this. Went fishing with my son today. A day wasted. Now, his son, Brooks Adams, also kept a diary. And if you open up to that same day... This was Brooks' message to himself. When fishing with my father, the most wonderful day of my life. While Charles thought he had wasted his time fishing with his son, there was probably something more important that he could have done. His son has this marvelous statement about the investment of time that his dad gave him. I want you to know this. Jesus considers it a great investment of his time to spend with you. So much so that the scripture tells us he gave up his equality with God in heaven. And he took on the form of man, but not just any man, a servant of man, so that he might bring us the redemption of our lives. He gave his time for us, and he spends time with us today. But my question is, how do you consider the time that you spend with God? Wasted or wonderful? Martha would have made a better use of her time learning at the feet of Jesus. And Mary made room for Jesus, so she sat there at his feet listening. And until we take time to spend with Jesus, we don't have the full benefit of the relationship that he seeks to have with us. 
So let's make room for Him by making the most of every moment that we have in our lives. The third thing is this, we need to adjust our attitude. Now first off, I want you to understand that, that <clears throat> Martha did not do anything wrong. I mean, everything she was doing was for Jesus, preparing a meal for him, allowing him to come into her house so that he could bring his, his disciples and the others that were there. She was providing for him this wonderful opportunity, so everything she was doing was good. It's not that she did anything wrong. Preparing that for him and for his, his friends was a good thing. But in doing so, she developed this attitude. To say that she was miffed is probably an understatement. Jesus, don't you see that I'm struggling here? I'm trying to get all this done and I'm serving by everybody. And Mary's not. Would you tell Mary to come in and help me serve? And he just looked at her as Martha. Martha. And your, your anxiety over all this stuff, it's, it's, not, it's not worth it. There's really one thing that's necessary, one thing needed, and Mary has figured it out. Matter of fact, they're at this meal, but there was a point in Jesus' life when he was in the wilderness, and Satan said, man, you've got to be hungry. Why don't you turn these rocks into bread and have some lunch? And Jesus understood this, and he made that statement, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Mary gets it. It's not about the food, but it's about listening to the words of Jesus as he speaks and as she's learning what it is to live. You see, Martha complained, you don't care that my sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her to help me. But Jesus pointed out that while Martha was doing good, Mary was doing something even better. Mary was with Jesus, not doing something for him. Unfortunately, we all get them. We get negative attitudes, but we also get positive attitudes. There's unhealthy things we think about and there's healthy things that we concentrate on. Ungodly attitudes and godly attitudes. But what are some unhealthy attitudes that we develop in life? Let me go through just a few of these. There's that grudge-bearing. I mean, some of you have the memory of an elephant, and you never forget it when somebody does you wrong. And it may be decades you'll hold that grudge. I know that sometimes I've been that way. We think sometimes, poor me, nobody likes me. I guess I'll just go eat worms. We can be smug, conceited, superior, and arrogant. We can be hypocritical, hypercritical, pharisaic, narrow-minded, and judgmental. We are at times even bigoted, prejudicial, and racist. But there are healthy attitudes as well, such as benevolent and generous. How about gracious, merciful, and kind, or optimistic, hopeful, peaceable, humble, obedient. We each adjust our attitudes negatively or positively by what we think about and, and what kind of stuff we fill our minds with. What do we stuff in the closet of our heart? Those things that we allow in influence us. People that we associate with 
They impact the way we think. Learning to empathize with others, trying to understand what it would be like to walk in their shoes is a good thing. Learning to develop the attitude of contentment with where we are in life and what what we have is the total opposite of a person with a covetous heart. Always looking out at something that seems better than what they've got and they want it. You see, attitude matters because attitudes determine direction. Attitudes, they affect our relationships, and attitudes influence our feelings, and they can either draw people in or push people out, even Jesus. To make room for Him, we need to maybe just to adjust our attitudes of our mind, clear out what we think about, and allow His Word to penetrate and become our thoughts. There was an older man one time, he had a reputation for being greedy, kind of like Ebenezer Scrooge, that kind of person that just was always about gaining more and more and never giving anything to anybody. He always took and he never gave. Well, he ended up in the hospital one day on a traumatic event, and he nearly died. It was in that moment that he awakened to see himself for who he really was. Now, he had a neighbor who would come and visit him on a daily basis and pray for him. Eventually, he got better, and he was able to to go home. And so the next Sunday, he went to church. He was going to get his life right with God. But as that offering plate went through, he didn't put anything in there. He still had to hang on to what he had. As the weeks passed, he allowed more and more of the Word of God to penetrate his heart. and He would take more and more of his self-centered life and discard it. Finally, he surrendered his life to Jesus. He was baptized, and he became a new man. His attitude changed from greed and stinginess to one of, of generosity and giving. And one day he learned about a family in need that was within the church, and they had a bunch of kids, and they were struggling. And, and he thought, I've got a smokehouse at my place, and I've got a bunch of ham that are hanging in there smoking. Maybe I can give them one of those hams. And as he approached the smokehouse, this thought went through his mind. All right, but give them the smallest ham. And every time he thought about it, the more that thought kept occurring to him, and finally he, he, he just he, he thought, Satan, get out of my thoughts. And so he yelled at them. He, says, he said, Satan, if you don't leave me alone, I'm going to give them every ham in the smokehouse. What is it that we're clinging to in life? You see, his new attitude, he made room for Jesus, and I pray that we do too. Every day, you and I need to make room for Jesus. Daily, we should get to know him more, and daily, we need to clean out the clutter that somebody else might be putting in there or we're dragging in as well. We need to learn to walk with him and to sit at his feet like Mary and learn from him. I mean, it's great when you're doing things for Jesus, but we all need to do things with Jesus. Jesus. So there's one thing that is needed, one thing that is truly necessary. We need to sit at Jesus' feet. So Jesus 
has come to our houses. How are you going to treat him? This is an invitation call for you today. As we sing, if you will just think through your heart. Maybe you've never taken time to really give it to Jesus, to surrender your life. Maybe you need to repent of all the things that you've been doing. But you just, you've not been able to get rid of them. They're always there. Maybe you just need to say, okay, I'm going to publicly confess that Jesus is Lord. Some of you, you need to be baptized. You put it off a long time. But we're going to sing. And I want to challenge you. If there's something you need to do to get your life in order with Christ, why don't you come down here? I'll pray with you. I'll walk with you. We'll, we'll figure out what your next steps are. If you need help cleaning out your closet, there's a lot of people here who'd love to get in there and drag that junk out. We can put it on the curb and say free. Or we can take it and burn it. Whatever it is. But don't let today go by. Because you really don't know what tomorrow holds.